Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. One of the things that we know about school avoidance is that if a parent has some social anxiety, if a parent tends to be avoidant of conflict and difficult interactions, it is much more difficult to get a child back into school. So you're going to have to learn to handle this yourself. As a parent, you're going to have to role model it. You're going to have to do what doesn't feel comfortable or intuitive to you. The more you do it, the better. Welcome to Fluster Clucks with Lynn Lyons, where we talk about how to manage those tricky emotions that show up in all families. Serious stuff without being too serious. I'm your co-host, Robin, and I'm Lynn's sister-in-law, and I'm here to ask your questions. And I'm Lynn Lyons. I'm an anxiety expert, speaker, mom, and author, and I've been a therapist for over 30 years. Parenting can be a Fluster Clucks, and I'm here to help you find your way. And I'll even tell you what to do and what to say. Lynn, we're going to talk today about something that's very stressful for families to experience. And in fact, it's not that uncommon based on the number of people who reach out in our Facebook group to ask you about this. And the topic today is going to be school avoidance. Why don't you give us a breakdown of what that means? So school avoidance is coming up a lot because it seems to have had a little bit of a surge since the pandemic. So people are experiencing it in their families. But let me just say that it was a problem before the pandemic. For sure, it just seems to have bumped up a little bit since kids were out of school for a period of time. So school avoidance can be caused by a lot of different things. And so let me just say right now, I am not talking about people who choose to homeschool. I am not talking about kids who choose to do online schooling. School avoidance, the way that we look at it is that there is a family and often a child that wants to go to school. You want your child to go to school. Maybe they were going to school and now there is a very difficult and distressful shift in their ability to attend. So that's what we're talking about, where it feels much more like, a, oh, my gosh, what's happening? I want my kid to go to school. So you're talking about a big disruption into what the routine was. Correct. Now, the other thing, too, is that sometimes this is something that sort of shows up and it's kind of going along with a family over a period of time. So maybe you've got a first grader or a second grader who the teachers would say, yeah, this kid misses a lot of school. So the absenteeism is higher than they want it to be. And then it reaches a point oftentimes in middle school or sort of in the later elementary ages where suddenly there's a, I'm not going. It has some building to it sometimes. And sometimes it just shows up out of the blue. But again, when people say to me, everything was fine and then... I'm pretty skeptical of that because oftentimes there's a pattern of anxious avoidance that's been going on for a period of time. And this can happen to high schoolers as well. This isn't a young child problem. Correct. So let me just tell you a little bit about the reasons that kids avoid school. 
what the research shows There's a lot of research on this coming out yet. There was a big study that was just released in 2022. So let me tell you about that. One of the reasons that kids avoid is because they have academic struggles. So these are kids that might have a learning issue. They have dyslexia. They have a processing disorder. They don't feel capable or confident in their ability to keep up academically. So there are kids that school refuse because it's an academic issue, okay? Now, I'm not going to talk a lot about that just to say that it is really helpful if you've got a child who's struggling in school to check that out, right? That's one of the things that we want to rule out because anxiety based on not being able to keep up, not being able to read, not being able to process what's going on, then that's when the anxiety is secondary to a learning issue. And we absolutely want to pay attention to that. So that's one of the things. The second reason that kids are prone to or likely to avoid school is because of fear of bullying or victimization. Now, this is two categories. One is that they actually have been bullied. So of course, we want to address that. The other thing, though, is that sometimes it's a fear of being mistreated, where then it starts to move over into the social anxiety realm. So we want to differentiate between those two things. But in some research that just came out, a really big research study that just came out, this study highlighted the anxiety component to school avoidance, which is not surprising that when we're looking at school avoidance, we really look at anxiety as one of the primary drivers of this. And remember that anxiety is so connected to depression in kids and teenagers that we've also got that combo going on. So if you're a listener and your family is dealing with this, or you know a family who's dealing with this, It sounds like the first job is to sort of make sure you're understanding the nature of the avoidance so that the solution is the right fit. And then it also sounds like the anxiety-driven avoidance could actually have applications in other life circumstances beyond school because it could be that someone has a work avoidance issue based on anxiety, for example, as well. Right. When we see anxious-driven school avoidance, if you step back, you're probably going to see an avoidant style. You're probably going to see that for a lot of these kids, they are very socially anxious. Although what was interesting when I was looking at the research is that the specific diagnosis, what kind of anxiety you have, which, as you know, doesn't really matter all that much to me, it's not always or it's not even primarily socially anxious kids. It's kids that are just worriers. Just to elaborate for newer listeners, the type of anxiety that isn't that interesting to you is because you believe most anxiety is treated in the same way. Yes. So the reason that a specific diagnosis isn't really like, that's not going to be what I'm not going to be like, oh my gosh, you have this. It's because the diagnosis that you get tells me what you worry about, but it doesn't really change the treatment all that much. So if you're worried about dogs, if you're worried about thunderstorms, if you're worried about people, if you're worried about everything, I'm still going to treat the anxiety. I'm going to treat the worrying process in the same way. But it was interesting to me as I looked at this research that it was sort of confirming to me is that what we have is generally a worried kid, an anxious kid, 
and school becomes the place, one, where they spend the most time, where there's a lot of uncertainty. And when school becomes a little bit more challenging or when the social stuff becomes a little more challenging, that's when we may see a real uptick in the symptoms. So I'm imagining we're going to focus on anxiety-based avoidance, but what do you do for a parent who's not quite sure yet the reason of it? How would a parent try and unpack this and be on the right path? The key thing you want to do as a parent is you want to investigate what's going on with your child rather than immediately assuming or jumping to the conclusion that there's something wrong with the school. Now, could that be an issue? For sure. What you want to figure out, what you want to start with is how is my child doing? How are they responding to other things that are uncertain in their environment? So in other words, if you've got an anxious family or if you've got a kid who doesn't like to go to birthday parties or you're only allowed to go to one restaurant and they demand certainty, if you've got a kid who is fearful of stepping into new things, then you want to look at that as school as one of the contexts, not the problem that needs to be fixed. But it is very important if you have a child who you're noticing that they're having some difficulty academically, it's really important for you to figure that out. You can get an evaluation through the school. You can talk to the teachers. You really want to collaborate with the school rather than assume the school is the problem. You want to work with the school. That's a huge issue from the beginning. The way that I see this go down the wrong path is when parents will say, it's the school is doing to this to my child, rather than saying, let me figure out what's going on with my child and work with the school to try and come up with a plan. So that's the first thing. So when we come back, you can share a path of getting to the bottom of this and starting to help your kid. How are those New Year's resolutions going? Well, many are destined to fail, but lucky for you, here's one easy resolution idea that we gave you that we can all make and it will make your life easier. It'll be kinder to our planet and it will transform the way you do laundry in 2024. And that is switching to EarthBreeze. EarthBreeze looks like dryer sheets, but it's ultra concentrated laundry detergent and it couldn't be easier. You just throw a sheet in with your laundry in any temperature and you watch it dissolve in any wash cycle hot or cold. There's no measuring, there's no mess, there's no fuss, there's no wasteful plastic jug. EarthBreeze fights everyday stains and odors, giving you an amazing clean every time. The best part is you'll never run out again thanks to EarthBreeze flexible subscription that you can adjust, pause, or cancel at any time with no hidden fees or penalties. And you'll save a whopping 40% when you subscribe. Shipping's always free and it comes in a slim cardboard envelope that saves a ton of space. So switching to EarthBreeze won't only make Make laundry day easier for you, but it will also be easier on the planet. So help me make plastic jugs a thing of the past. And if EarthBreeze doesn't end up being the 2024 update of your dreams, you don't even have to return it. Just let them know it's not for you and you'll get a full refund, no questions asked. Get started with EarthBreeze and save 40%. Go to earthbreeze.com slash flusterclucks. That's earthbreeze.com slash flusterclucks for 40% off your subscription. I am really working on improving my diet by making sure that I get the best quality products, organic foods, 
And I really want to make sure that I'm not using harsh chemicals in my home. Thrive Market is my go-to for all of my grocery and household essentials. The convenience of getting everything online and then quickly shipped to my doorstep, that is a huge time saver. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories. I can use their filters to suit my lifestyle needs. So maybe you're looking for organic snacks for your kids, or maybe you're gluten-free. As a Thrive Market member, I save money on every single grocery order. You will too. On average, I save over 30% each time. They even have a deals page that changes daily, always has some of my favorite brands. When you join Thrive Market, you're also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. So join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash flusterclucks for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash flusterclucks. Thrivemarket.com slash flusterclucks. Okay, we're back. Okay, Lynn, so this is about anxiety-based school avoidance. Give us all you got. One is that we want to address it as early as possible, as soon as possible. Like with anything, if you start noticing a pattern of your child not wanting to go to school, if we are able to determine it's really anxiety-based, we want to make sure that your child is in the building as soon as possible and for as long as possible. So we don't want you to set it up that you're coming and picking up your child during the day. We don't want you to have them texting you during the day. You don't want to make deals with them that if they go into school for one hour, you'll come and get them. All of that is going to make the problem worse. Remember that the more that you support avoidance when it comes to anxiety, the more that you're going to create a bigger problem. You're giving the anxiety what it wants. So you want to address it early as soon as possible. You want to be really open and honest with the people at school that can help you because you need support in this. The other thing that we want to really, really pay attention to is that kids that are struggling with school avoidance often are really having a hard time with two things that will not surprise any of you. One is that a fear of judgment of other people. So they're worried that kids are judging them. They're worried that teachers are judging them. They're afraid that they're not doing things right. Combine that with what we consistently see as a lack of connection. That's what we're seeing with school avoidance. One of the things that shows up a lot when I'm working with kids with school avoidance, when it sort of comes to a head, is that they had one or two best buddies They had somebody at school that they could hang out with, that they could eat lunch with, and then that child moved or they went to a different school or the friendship fell apart. And that's when the school avoidance really, really becomes a huge issue. Can I stop and ask a question? Sure. So could we back up a second and think about when your child is not 
yet or hasn't demonstrated a total avoidance. But there are those moments in every child's tween or teen's life where something they don't want to go to school because there's something embarrassing, like they got a terrible haircut or they had a breakup or there are a series of these kinds of moments where someone who hasn't shown school avoidance is saying, I don't want to go to school because I want to avoid the judgment or whatever. What do parents say in that moment? Yep. What you want to say is you want to say, you know what? I totally get it. And one of the things that makes us feel better immediately when we're dealing with something like this is to not deal with it. So I would say, look, avoidance works like a charm. People avoid conflict. They avoid difficult conversations. They avoid confrontation. They avoid feeling embarrassed. They avoid things that feel challenging like a test or an exam. And one of the things that I really want to make sure that we don't do as a family is use avoidance as a coping strategy because it works and it takes over. So I totally hear right now that you are nervous about going to school because of situation X. So let's talk about what you're going to say. Let's talk about what happens when this person confronts you. Let's practice. Let's do some role playing about you having to go and talk to your teacher about the fact that you forgot to do your homework. Every time a situation comes up in which there has to be an uncomfortable interaction, and I'm not talking about bullying, I'm talking about an uncomfortable interaction, the more that you give your child practice and words and language to step in and and handle it, you are teaching them an incredibly important skill. I will tell you that every child, even every adult, this just happened to me. I had to go to the bank because the teller screwed up something and I had to go back. And my husband was like, just go talk to the bank. And I was like, I don't want to. And he said, you need to go back and talk to them. So we know this is a normal, natural feeling. What you want to show your child, the message you want to give your child is that we're going to step into the situation. We're going to feel uncomfortable. And let me help you with the words. Let's practice. You're not supposed to know how to do this, and it's going to feel uncomfortable. One of the things that we know about school avoidance is that if a parent has some social anxiety, if a parent tends to be avoidant of conflict and difficult interactions, it is much more difficult to get a child back into school. So you're going to have to learn to handle this yourself. As a parent, you're going to have to role model it. You're going to have to do what doesn't feel comfortable or intuitive to you. The more you do it, the better. When you gave that language to parents about why you want to avoid avoidance, the one thing I didn't hear that I could imagine parents wanting you to explain is avoiding isn't the solution here. You're going to go in. We're going to help you. We're going to give you some language. You're going to go for it and experience that discomfort. And then what's the reward you're dangling? The reward you're dangling is that the more you do it, the easier it gets, even though it's never going to be totally comfortable to have these conversations. Because when avoidance becomes your pattern, then it spills out into all other areas of your life. So there are things that you're going to want to do. Because remember, we decide that anxiety is a disorder. Anxiety is a problem when it gets in the way of the things you want and need to do. So the reward you're dangling is that you're going to feel better as you move through life 
about being able to handle these difficult situations that are going to come up. So I am teaching you these skills because I know you also want to play soccer and you'd also love to be in the school play and you'd also love to be able to go to this birthday party. And you can even say to a child, look, I'm somebody who really sort of got in the habit of avoiding when I was a kid. And I've had to really work on that as a grown up. And just like it's easier to learn how to ski when you're a kid than it is when you're a grown up, it's really easier to learn how to ride a bike when you're a kid than it is when you're a grown up. I'm going to give you these skills so this thing doesn't boss you around. And what you're weakening is the worried part of your brain that says, this is a disaster. It's going to be a case. I can't handle it. This is an emergency. Again, we want problem solvers that kids that step in and handle it. Two things in terms of helping your child if you start seeing this pattern and if this pattern has become prominent. One is, here's the question that I ask in my sessions. How do you as a parent or how do you with your child make the decision whether or not you're going to go to school? And what I see with families where there's a lot of absenteeism, a lot of school avoidance, is they make the decision on a daily basis, right? So you wake up in the morning and you say, well, am I going to go to school or not? In families where there's not school avoidance, they're not making that decision on a daily basis. You go to school or, you know, think of it in terms of grownups. You go to a job. I ask teachers all the time, do you wake up in the morning and say, oh, am I going to go to school today or not? No, it's what you do. We want to make a big decision, sort of a meta decision, that school is what we're going to do rather than a daily decision of, do I go to school today? Do I go to school today based on whether or not I have phys ed, whether or not there's an assembly, whether or not they have tuna for lunch, whether or not, et cetera, et cetera. So we want a big decision rather than a daily decision. That's a big difference between kids that have a lot of absenteeism and don't. I think what happened during the pandemic is that not going to school became an option on the menu, right? So I don't have to go to school today or I'm not going to go to school today in a way that kids didn't really even consider that an option before. And it became more of an option. So that becomes challenging for parents. The other thing that is so important is what the research refers to as social capital. The more that you can help a child or a teenager feel connected in school, the better off you're going to be, the more you're going to prevent school avoidance, but it's also a key thing to turning this ship around. The reason we want to turn the ship around, by the way, is because school avoidance is a very big predictor of problems later on in life, right? We know if you are school avoidant, you are much more likely to have difficulty with employment, have ongoing problems with depression, difficulty making social connection. The way that we increase social capital means that you really want to focus on connection in school. And this can be connection with a mentor. This can be connection with a teacher who really gets you. This can be connection with a school counselor. It also means that you have a sense of usefulness at school, that you have a sense of that you're doing something meaningful. So kids that have difficulty in school, giving them a job having them become a mentor, having them work with younger students if they're an older student. All of this stuff builds a sense of connection because when we're looking at what kids need when they're in school, they need to have a sense of positive connection and relationships. And belonging, right? And belonging. Yep. We did that episode a while ago when we looked at the positive childhood experiences research. 
And two of the big things that came up was a sense of belonging in high school and two non-parental adults that looked at you and saw you for who you were and appreciated all the uniqueness and all the wonderful things about you as a human being. So if we can really focus on positive connection, if you are paying attention to, does this child have friendships? If they don't, how do we help that happen? This is why I love groups in schools with kids that are struggling with this, looking very clearly with eyes wide open about how you can create this closeness to adults, a connection to some peers, a connection to school activities helps enormously. When we come back, let's talk also about some of the well-meaning approaches schools and parents might think are a good idea, but are fueling the anxiety. Okay. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. So when you're a parent, you're going to have your fair share of big talks with your kids, right? About all sorts of big topics. One of those big talks should involve money. And Greenlight can help with that. Greenlight is a debit card and a money app that's made for families. It allows you to do instant money transfers. You can get real-time notifications of spending. You can manage chores. You can automate allowance. I know with my kids, we really wanted to help them see the cause and effect, right? If you spend money now, you're not going to have it later. If you earn money now and you save it, maybe you can put it towards some big purchase that you're looking forward to. This is called financial literacy, and it allows kids to build independence, to learn how money works, to make them better savers, better spenders. The Greenlight app also comes with an in-app financial literacy game. It's called Level Up, so that kids can build money confidence through videos, bite-sized challenges, mini games, and more. More than 6 million parents and kids use Greenlight to learn how to make responsible financial choices. So stop putting off the money talk and start putting your kids on the right path. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash fluster. That's greenlight.com slash fluster to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash fluster. Hey, so the other day I had to change my car insurance and guess what? I bought new car insurance and they sent me a check, right? So that you could buy something and get money back at the same time doesn't happen very often. And it's pretty darn fun. That's why you got to check out Ibotta. Ibotta is a free app that gives you the most cash back every time you shop. On hundreds of items, from groceries to beauty supplies to toys, you can make sure you're beating inflation no matter what you're purchasing. So, The average Ibotta user earns $256 a year. That's actually more than I got back on my car insurance, I'll tell you. That could cover the cost of an entire shopping trip. Other apps give you points that don't amount to too much. With Ibotta, just add your offers in the app, upload your receipt, and you get real cash that you can cash out to your bank account, PayPal, or gift cards. So join the 50 million users Earn cash back every time you shop. Over 2,700 brands, everybody. Retailers, including Lowe's, Sephora, Best Buy. Right now, Ibotta is offering our listeners $5 just for trying Ibotta by using the code FLUSTER when you register. Just go to the App Store or Google Play Store and download the free Ibotta app to start earning cash back 
and use the code FLUSTER. That's I-B-O-T-T-A and use the code FLUSTER. Okay, so now back to the show. So one of the things you've talked about a lot, and I recall because it's like an excerpt of your Mr. Rogers talk, is that a lot of schools have this safe space approach of if you're avoiding and we want you in school, we want you to feel safe. Here's your safe space to feel safe in school. Why don't you unpack that? Okay. So let me just be clear. I am absolutely in favor of kids having a place to go in school where they feel like they are heard and valued and there's somebody who's going to listen to them. When it comes to anxiety, I just don't like the terminology calling it a safe space because when we say safe, that means that we need a safe place because the rest of the school is dangerous. It's that dichotomy between using the word safe and the word dangerous. So when we're talking about a safe space, I really would just love the language to be, how about we call it a reboot room or how about we call it a connection space, right? So I need to reconnect. I need to reset. When a child is in school and they're struggling, I am absolutely in favor of them, one, staying in school. We want them to stay in school and giving them the ability to leave the classroom and to go and find that person or connect with the person that's going to be able to help them reboot and reset. So I am not saying stay in school, stay in the classroom, no avoidance. I'm saying get them in the building. When they're in the building, we want them to have people. We want them to have a place to go where there is skill building going on. People ask me all the time, well, is it okay if I give a child a pass so that whenever they get overwhelmed, they can leave the classroom? Absolutely. We're not trying to torture kids. If you're having a meltdown and you're in seventh grade, we're not going to make you stay in your science class and be embarrassed in front of your peers. That just makes the problem worse. But when you leave the classroom, I want it to be clear, where are you going to go? What are you going to do? Who is the person or people that are going to be there for you to help you reset and reboot and work on these skills? Because the worry is showing up And the worry is saying what it always says, right? I can't handle this. This is an emergency. It might get more specific. People are judging me. What's the story that your worry is telling you right now? And how are we going to help you hang out in the situation so that the brain can relearn? So when we use all the language of sort of avoidance or escape or safety, or I have to get out of here, we're we're saying the solution to this problem is for you to escape. The solution to the problem is for you to get support, to reboot, to have somebody that can help you and then get back into the situation so you can start to experience things differently. Because remember, we're retraining the brain here and it's a process. Yeah. I wonder if it's common. You said something that I just love, and that is that if you don't feel like you are connected to your peers at school, you and I know this in terms of life skills for adults as well giving of yourself and volunteering and showing up in a different way can often be like a shortcut to finding your ground. And I wonder, since we have so many school psychologists who listen, I wonder if there are ways, especially if the child is feeling disconnected to their own peer group, doing some sort of volunteering for the children younger than them kind of removes that disconnection and still makes them feel like, no, this is my school and I'm helpful. I'm useful. 
I mean, it's so simple. And I think it can have such a lovely outcome. I hope that that's applied a lot. Yeah. I mean, I think there are, I've heard of wonderful programs. I mean, it's funny, my older son, he had a reading buddy that he would go to, I think when he was in fifth grade, he would go and read to a first grader. And we still know who that kid, he lives down the street, right? I still know who he is. I mean, he's a big kid now. He's not a little kid. But they have programs in schools like that, which are wonderful. And I think you bring up a really important point is that sometimes when kids are having difficulty or we think that they need to connect to their peers, which is great, of course, but volunteerism, the research shows that that's one of the most powerful things we can do for teens that are depressed. And it doesn't matter if you're connecting with another teen in that situation. And in fact, lots of times, It's connecting to elderly people. It's connecting to little kids. They have a program where kids go and read to the animals in the shelter, in the Humane Society. So they've got kids that need to connect and they go and they read to kittens, right? Have you read to kittens? I would think you would really like that. Oh, I mean, I've spent my life reading to kittens. Yeah. My cat Fudgy and I had conversations all the time. So when we look at being able to connect and feel useful... It doesn't have to be in your peer group. And sometimes it leads to connection because then you're with your peers, but we want to get them connected in any way possible. It can even be an adult in the school. One of the things that is really interesting when we look at how do we help kids in school is that oftentimes the kids aren't connected to the people that we think they should be connected to. They're connected to the school secretary. They're connected to the maintenance guy that they see every morning. They're connected to this teacher they don't even have, but they have a shared interest in Star Wars because the teacher came in wearing a Star Wars t-shirt and the kid said like, hey, you like Star Wars? So you have to look for opportunities to connect that may be outside of what you think, oh, they have to have a friend in fourth grade or they have to have a friend in eighth grade. It doesn't matter. You know what this reminds me of? In high school, I took an acting class and one of the exercises was I want you to stand on stage and the rest of the class just and the teacher just looked at you on stage, which is somewhat of a nerve wracking experience. And then they gave us a second experiment, which was I want you to sit on stage and I want you to do this crossword puzzle. And so then you realized when you were doing a crossword puzzle on stage, that didn't feel so bad. And the concept is like, if you know you're supposed to be doing something, you're not focused on being judged. Correct. And because that's because remember, social anxiety is an internally focused state. Being judged all the time. That's right. But you're doing it in your head, right? So as soon as we get you out of your own head, and as soon as we have you helping somebody or doing a crossword puzzle or engaging in some sort of activity where you are being of service, where you are being of use, where you are doing something meaningful, it's incredibly powerful. And I wrote about this in the anxiety audit. They put daycares in nursing homes. And the people in the nursing homes were being useful to these little kids. And it was a win-win because these little kids were hanging around with these old people that may have been lonely or felt disconnected or were having health issues. And the old people were reading to the little kids and the little kids would come and visit them. It's about connection. And when we're looking at school and if your child feels disconnected, if your child feels that the only way they get connection or feel connection is to stay home with you, then you really want to broaden their experiences of connecting to other people. 
often maybe the child who is socially avoidant may come from a household where the parent is too. Mm -hmm. Very likely, in fact. Very likely. So if you know, though, that this is your family, you know, we always talk about anxiety as a family problem, but it's also the best family-focused solution is that the family should talk about when they're starting to feel uncomfortable about being judged, what is the pivot? What is the action to take? And if a family's talking about that out loud a lot, it's really helping the child grow, building those skills. Like, I'm not feeling very comfortable. What could I go and do right now? Right. How could I go be useful to somebody right now? Because I, and to then let go of those feelings. Yeah. And the thing you want to make sure, particularly if you're dealing with middle schoolers, and this is where oftentimes we see the school avoidance gets really powerful because the academic pressures are going up. The social stuff is more complicated and they're getting big, like you can't get them to do things they don't want to do anymore. So parents feel really handcuffed about that. But when a middle schooler says, I just think that everybody's looking at me and they're judging me, you don't want to come back and say, oh, nobody's paying attention to you. Nobody's judging you. Because as I often say, middle schools have a superpower where they are capable of being completely focused on themselves and completely judging of other people at the exact same time. You know, sometimes we say, oh, you know what? Your peers are so concerned about themselves. They're not paying attention to you. Oh, no, no. They're doing both. So we want to normalize the fact that human beings judge, that of course people have opinions, but how do you tolerate the fact that when you step into a social situation, school or whatever, that people are going to have opinions about you? You're going to have opinions about them, but how do we shift that into I'm going to feel useful, I'm going to feel connected, I'm going to feel like I'm doing something outside of myself? That is really powerful. So, Lynn, I have a confession to make. Okay. You know, I never thought of this, but I think this actually applied to me a little bit in high school, actually. But it was in a slightly different way. I did have an absentee problem. And because my school had a policy that if you were not there by our first morning break at 1015, then you got a school absence. I will not say on air how many absences I had my senior year, but Ferris Bueller is a total amateur. I mean, it was insane. And I'm thinking about this now from an adult lens. My mom was very hands-off. She was like, you do you. Yeah. I'm not sure what I was avoiding, but I do know that in my 20s, and I got a job, I had to unlearn that, which I did. Like I did move through it. But there was that when you said like, when you wake up, do you go to school? I was like, yep, that was me. Yeah. Making the decision every day. That's interesting. So I was the opposite. I know you were. (laughs) You were like, I'm at school at 6 a.m. every day. I'm going to be school and I'm going to be involved in everything. And I'm not going to miss anything. Although I'll tell you, because you know that I'm a squeamish fainter. In school, in my junior year, they would show every all the juniors and seniors had to watch this movie in an assembly called Red Asphalt, which was the movie they showed you to make sure that you didn't drive like an idiot. And I knew that movie was going to be shown. And I said to my mom, I'm not going to school today. And she was like, fine. Yeah. So... <laughs> So I totally avoided that day. Oh, God, I would not want to miss school. Well, this is why I asked the question about little kids, because I do think there were times I asked if I could stay home when I was a younger child to be with my mom. And 
we had a routine that if I stayed home from school, my mom would call my grandmother and the three of us would go out and have lunch together. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what? That's a nice thing. If it was happening every Wednesday, that would be a problem. Right. But I don't want parents to think that every once in a while, it's not a fun treat to say like, hey, let's just have a skip day. Right. I mean, every once in a while, this is we're really talking about when it becomes a pattern of kids missing a lot of school. No, no, no. I absolutely understand the difference of a child who will not go. However, I do think if my family had been less tolerant of missing school when I was younger, I would not have carried on that pattern older. If my mom had been a bit like, no, you're going to school no matter what. And truthfully, I am that way with my kids because I know where it can go if you're kind of loose about it. Right, right. It's all about consistency, isn't it? The thing that parents, as you're listening, that you really want to pay attention to is that, is it easy for you to help your child not go to school because you so relate to their anxiety about going to school? Because that's the connection between having a socially anxious parent And then having a child that's having difficulty getting into school because of this is pretty prominent. Of course. And when you have a family who clearly both the adults and the kids don't have the strongest connecting skills, Mm -hmm. then this is where avoidance will sort of dictate and create the filter for many things. Yeah. And the hard part about this is that if you were socially anxious or if you are socially anxious as an adult, You have so much empathy for your kid as they're trying to manage school. And so you've got to balance this empathy, which is a fabulous thing to have for a child who's struggling, with the then hard job of making sure that they develop the skills that maybe you didn't. And that's a really tricky place to be. May I say it again? This is why I work with parents, because it is so important for parents to get support during this. So let me conclude by saying just emphatically also, it is really, really important if this is going on in your house that you find the people at school who can really support you as a parent and can really support your child because you are going to need support in this. It is really hard in the morning when your child is losing it, when they don't want to go to school, when they're refusing. It's got to be a team effort. So work with the school. Schools work with the parent. Everybody is trying to figure this out. And when it gets contentious between the school and the family, it doesn't get any better. It gets a lot worse. I've seen that over and over and over again. Yeah. Find that person at the school that when you come through the door, they look at you and you know that they are getting it. They are there to help you. There are people in every school who have that compassion and have that empathy and find those people and connect with them, it's going to help your child. I think it's really cool that everything that you've said, just like many other episodes and your approach, is that if you think about this, this is, again, both the treatment and the prevention. Absolutely. Obviously, the treatment, the parents are doing it from that place of more of a crisis. But if you're not at a crisis, there's a lot of things you can do now to keep that crisis at bay. That's right. It's the same thing, that Venn diagram between treatment and prevention. Mary-Kate and Ashley Olson, they look like identical twins from a distance. They're actually not. But it's really, really important for all parents to think about how are we going to get ahead of this thing so that it doesn't become a crisis, so that you can be preventative. We do it in so many other things in life, so we just need to think about it in this context as well. 
If this episode was helpful to you, you can join our Facebook community and we'd love it if you left a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Fluster Clucks. Bye, Robin. Bye, Lynn. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.